When I was praying this week, I just, I felt like, uh, this isn't part of the message, but it's a good word. I just felt like there's, uh, you know, there's times, I've been married uh, 28 years. She's downstairs, so it's all right. But I've been married 28 years, give or take. But um, there are times that you can just really focus on the negativity of your spouse. The devil will accommodate that. But this is the thing. The enemy also, if you work, he'll make somebody come across your path that just make you think that you... I am, sister. <laughs> just, you know, it just make you think that, wow, my husband or my wife doesn't say that or my wife didn't. And listen to me. That is the devil. But listen to me. This is how you com- combat that. You think of the good things that your spouse does. You don't have to think of the negative things. They automatically come to you. But you do have to make, listen to me, it'll make an effort to focus on the great. I remember this one person, they said this time, you know, all you do is when you get off work, you just come home and you sit on the couch. And so she turned that around and said, I am thankful that you're not out bar hopping looking at women at all these bars. (laughs) And now you know the rest of the story. Psalm 6511 is our scripture for the year. Psalm 6511, it says, You crown 2017 with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. Everybody say, That's me. He crowns 2017 with the goodness of God. Oh, I'm so thankful. Uh, Wednesday night at church, right at the end when I was praying, I, it was just like it was a strong emphasis to tell the people that God wants us to stretch. Stretch. And he said that uh, stretching causes you to think bigger. And when you are thinking bigger, God can do bigger. In other words, you know, we, we have a vision for our church. But you need to know our vision. But you also need to have vision what you think about your life, your family. What's your vision for your family, for your job, for your career? Because the Lord says this. He says, it's not... People are just waiting on God. And he says, I'm waiting on you to know what you want. Because when he sees vision, he will automatically bring you provision. You need to get a little bit more excited than that. I'm just saying. God wants to bring provision. Oh, God, won't you do this, God? Won't you do this? So you know what? I have never thought bigger as a pastor in my whole entire life until this year. I mean, I step back and I go, that's God. That ain't Mike because Mike would be scared right now. <laughs> Huge. We're going we're gonna to get a bigger building. <laughs> I said we're going to get a bigger building. This building's about, I mean, some of you probably, if you never investigated our building, we have a basement and we have a room back in the back. It's about 13,000 square feet. 
So I told the Lord, I said, a good place would be about 50,000, give or take. 50,000 square feet, that's about four times, Lillian. That's, good. that's a good place to start. So 50,000 square feet. So I've got uh, a realtor just looking around, poking, so we can find a bigger building. Which means it's going to be a lot of money. This is usually when it gets quiet. <laughs> I know this. That if you start having a bigger vision, you know, a lot of people know Joel Osteen, but his daddy, John. I knew his daddy. He used to speak at Raymond at some of our meetings. And John Osteen, when he first started off as pastoring, he said this. He said, I like visiting a church that had a big big, big vision because he said, I knew it was going to take money and that God was going to pour that money through people to get that. He says, I liked hooking up with that because, you know what, I like to be the vessel where that money comes through. Amen. Amen. So, you pray. I, this week, I told my wife, I said, I don't know if you... I wasn't going to say this. I didn't say it in the first service, but Andrew Walmack Ministries, they have an opportunity to buy, I think it was 120-something acres right next to their Bible school. And uh, so he says, you know what? I just need uh, 1,000 people to do, I think it was going to be 1.3 or 13 million. It had a, a one and a bunch of threes in it. The reason I know is because he was asking for partners to do $133.33 a month. Did anybody hear that? So I told my wife, we already support his ministry. My wife and I, we give 15 to 20% of our income. We've done that ever since day one, 28 years ago. And so um, I haven't been a pastor all my life. We did that when I worked for FedEx, and she was a registered nurse. And uh, we were making really good money. And uh, we do all right now. But my point is this. I said, you know what? We already give quite a bit, and this would be a stretch. I told her, I said, would it be all right with you if we join as a, he called it elite partners. We're already a regular partner. We called it elite partners. So we did. We signed up for it. And so uh, the church already gives uh, a certain amount every month. So I signed up the church to give above that as well, to give $133.33. So I called him up and said, you got two brand new partners today. Listen, this is what I believe. When you start giving towards something to fulfill somebody else's vision, God says, I'll make sure you have provision for your vision. So, we've already taken up our offering, so don't anybody get scared or nervous. <laughs> but I would like for you, you know what? I, I'll just say this. I didn't even pray about that. So many times ministers say, well, let's just pray and ask God. This is what I believe. God lives in me. And if I want to do something, God says, yeah, I want to do it. If you want to do that, I'll, do, I'll hook up with that. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So if Mike wants to do something, God wants to do it. So that's the way I function. Lord, I want to do that. He goes, yep, I do too. I'm glad. Let's do it. So I didn't even pray. We get all religious about stuff. Well, you know, let's just pray about this and We'll just pray about that. There's a lot of things you don't even need to pray about. Thank you for your enthusiasm. If you want to do it, just do it. 
What do you want to do in life? What is your vision in life? What do you want to do in life? Well, I always wanted to open up my own business, or I always wanted to do uh, nursing, or I always wanted to do that. Then, honey, start going towards that direction to do it. I just don't know if it's God's will. If you want to do it, it's God's will. People, I, I mean, I've been in church most of my life. I haven't followed God most of my life, but I've been in church most of my life. I was raised in church, but I was there only in body form. But anyway, and I always thought that it was difficult to hear from God. It was difficult knowing the will of God, and the church accommodated me to make sure that it was difficult. I found out God is such an awesome father, and just like any awesome father, he wants things to be plain. He wants things to be simple. He wants you to know. You know, I don't tell my kids, well, Dad, what about this? Well, you know, I'm just going to be sneaky on you and not tell you. <laughs> what kind of father would that be? But it's amazing how religious people think that's how God acts. <laughs> oh, help us, Jesus. You stay here long enough, we'll get all the religion out of you. Guaranteed. How's that for a, a vision statement? Come to our church. We'll get the religion out of you. I'll say this. Who did Jesus have problems with when he was on the earth? Pharisees, Sadducees, which were religious people. It hasn't changed. <laughs> I'm preaching. I haven't even started. All right. Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 5, talks about stretching and making it bigger areas. It says this, make your tent bigger. Is this God or is this you? Who's supposed to do this? You. You are supposed to make your tent bigger. Stretch it out and make it wider. Do not hold back. If you are thinking, well, you know, I just want this much, you may be holding back because God is always bigger than what you're wanting to do. Make the ropes longer and its stakes stronger because you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your children will take over other nations and they will again live in cities that once were destroyed. Don't be afraid. And that's what stops most people. Fear. Don't be afraid because you will not be ashamed. This is what God's saying. When you start thinking bigger, you're not going to be ashamed. Well, what if it doesn't happen? That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to make the tent bigger and God makes sure it's filled. He can only fill what you provide. You remember the story with the widow woman? Not the widow woman, but the widow woman. She could have been a widow, widow woman. I don't know. But anyway. What was I going to say? The widow woman. Her husband passed away, and they were going to come and take her sons and her children away because she had debt. And so she went to the prophet, and the prophet told her, says, what do you have? Well, I only have a few vessels of oil. He said, go and borrow as many empty vessels as you possibly can get your hands on, and then start filling them, and then sell that. So anyway, she started getting vessels, started getting vessels, started getting vessels, and the oil never did run out. This was the vision. God says, I'll do the provision. Now, you can take a bottle of oil, and I don't care. After about two or three bottles, that should be empty. But it didn't run out, the Bible said. She kept 
She kept bringing, as many as they brought, God filled. Every single one they brought, God filled. The point is this. If you can make the vision as big as you want, God says the provision will never run out. So she had all of this and went to the prophet. What do I do? This Sell all that you have, pay off your debt, and live. Live. It wasn't just, listen, it didn't just meet the need. It paid off her debt and then some that she could live the rest of her life on. That's a lot of oil. God wants us to think bigger. And I'm telling you, he will fulfill it. He'll fulfill it. I remember when we were missionaries in Africa back in 1991. The Hagemeyers, we're going to go to Africa this June 19th to celebrate the Hagemeyers. Melody's parents, I call them mom and dad. They have been in Africa for 50 years this May. 50 years in Africa. I know it, man. So I told my family a year ago, I said, our sons have never been to Africa. Danielle, she has. But she was there when we were missionaries. But I said, we're all going to take a family trip to Africa, and we'll minister there and everything. And uh, we're going to honor mom and dad, just to honor them, to show up and honor them. But um, when we were missionaries there, back in 1991, um, there is... You, you got to know where this is at. There are no theaters. There's no gro- Walmarts, grocery stores, hotels. No place to eat out. None. None. No TV. No Wi-Fi. Or five Wi-Fi. There's nothing there. And um, so there's very little for entertainment. But somebody shipped Dad in a container a couple of uh, dirt bikes. So that was my entertainment. I used those dirt bikes to, to ride and play with and everything. And, and so, you know, the more comfortable you get, just the Kentucky boy in me, I, I started acting a little bit like Evil Knievel. These young, <laughs> young people don't even know who that is. Anyway, I was going home uh, from, I taught at the Bible school. I was dri- riding a bike home to, to, from Bible school. I mean, it's coming up the hill up to the missionary house, and, and when you get to the top of the hill, it's just a hard, sharp left turn. And I came up that hill doing Mach 1, you know, and I'm just going, I'm going to see how fast I can make this turn. <laughs> and I got into that turn and was leaning into it, and I was doing good the first 10 feet. <laughs> All of a sudden... It wouldn't turn anymore. It just kept going. I hit some sand. I just kept going straight. And the bike was leaning this way, and I was going that way. (laughs) That's not good. (laughs) So there was a big ravine. I call it a big ditch, but it was like a big ravine, and it went up the hill like that. All of a sudden, I went airborne. I was flying in the air. The bike was coming off. I mean, I was flying. Evil Knievel has nothing on me. Except he had the equipment of protection. I didn't have nothing. And matter of fact, I don't even think I had a helmet. But anyway, I went flying, and I was coming off the bike, and I slammed up against that hill, and that bike hit that foot. Just all of the weight and centrifugal force hit that foot. Yeah, ow. Uh, It was more than ow. I'm I'm not a doctor, but I knew something's broke. Or there's a lot of things broken. I don't know, but... uh, (laughs) 
This little elderly man is walking down the path. I'll never forget it. He said in Swahili, Ndugu, Ndugu, Kampoli, Poli, which meant, brother, you need to slow down. <laughs> and I thought, this is not the time, my friend. <laughs> it's kind of like your father or your mother saying that. It's like it really doesn't help me to say that now, okay? <laughs> so he went back. He knew where my, what, our missionary, he went back there and said, and Dougal Mikey's in bad shape. You need to come. So Melly got in the car, came down there, and uh, took me home. And, um, you know, there's really no medical facilities there. Stephanie has a medical, it's a much better, she has a medical hospital now. Stephanie, Melody's sister, runs that now. But uh, at that time, they didn't have squat there. They, they had a, you would call him a physician, but um, <laughs> he had nothing. He asked Stephanie, he says, do you have uh, a plaster Paris for a cast for Mike? So Stephanie had it at her house, so she had to go to the house, bring you know, the old plaster Paris that weighs about 500 tons on your leg. <laughs> so they cast me up to about right there, and they was leaving it on. And uh, about after five, there was a mission, good missionary friend of mine. And I just, after about five weeks, I said, man, i got to get this thing off. It's just yucky. And so Melody was gone. <laughs> so he got pipe cutters, and he cut that thing off. So I, but I, I couldn't even touch the ground with that foot it still hurt that bad I went man that doesn't seem right after this many weeks so uh I propped it up I had to prop it up the whole time and I had crutches and so Melly came home and she said what did you do I said Don cut it off <laughs> I know exactly how Adam felt it's this missionary friend he gave me but anyway so she says, you should not have done that. I said, well, it's all right, it's all right. Well, after a few days, Melody <coughs> never gets excited about anything. <coughs> but after a few days, it never quit turning black and blue, and it never quit swelling. And so and I, when it was just hanging down, it hurt like it was still not right. So I always had to have it propped up. And so... Eventually, Melody says, Mike, I think there's, you need to really start believing God because something's not right with your foot. And I thought, you think? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I, you know how the devil, he'll jump in there inside your mind and go, you will never walk again. You'll never walk again. Because there's just, you have multiple bones broken down there, and you'll just never walk again. They didn't fix it. You should have had pins. You should have had surgery. You should have had, you should have had, you should have had. And I didn't. So I was really crying out to God about this, and, and the Lord gave me a scripture. Habakkuk. In Swahili, this is why I've never known. It's the first Swahili I've ever read uh, in scripture, and it gave my testimony. You will never forget Habakkuk and Swahili. It is Habakkuki. <laughs> kind of like the cookie monster saying Habakkuki, but Habakkuki. That's Habakkuk and Swahili. So the Lord gave me this. And so in Habakkuki 3.17 through 19, it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. How many of you know up to this point, this is really bad news? And I'm thinking, well, Lord, this is not very encouraging. 
Then he goes on to say in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. So this is what God was saying to me. He says, don't look at the natural. Because if you're just constantly looking at the natural, what you see, what you feel, you'll miss it. So you have to rejoice in God. God, I rejoice that my foot is healed, that you paid the price for me to be healed. So I started rejoicing in God that everything's going to be all right. And not only will I walk, I'm going to run. And so the verse 19 just jumped off the page when I read it. It says, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And I went, Lord, you are speaking to me. He says, Mike, I'm going to make your feet like the feet of a deer. And he will make me walk on my high heels. So I confess that scripture and confess it and confess it every day, every day. You know, People walk up to you and, and, you know, they just speak Swahili. They say, Mualimu, Habarigani. You know, in other words, how you doing? And I would say, Kamakulungu. In Swahili, that means my foot's like a deer. Deer's feet. I got deer's feet. And I was on crutches. <laughs> because every time I touched it, it hurt. So I did that day after day. And a few weeks went by. Maybe even a month or two. I'm not sure the time. But uh, I just thought that scripture just... I knew that I knew I knew what that scripture said because I was thinking about it every day. It's easy to think about it when you're on crutches. You know, my feet are like deer's feet. My feet are like deer. And, you know, in the natural, it's just kind of like Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to have a baby. She's 90, in case you didn't know, Abraham. <laughs> there ain't no wound there, buddy. Anyway, I just knew that I was healed. I was healed. I was healed. I don't care about these crutches. I knew that I was healed. I didn't care. Somebody says, how are you doing? I got the feet of deer, man. And they go, do you know you're on crutches? Yep. <laughs> so after a few weeks that went by, one morning I woke up and I go, this is the day. So I put my crutches down and I go, I'm not picking them back up. And man, I put weight on that foot and it w- Pain went from here to Chicago, up through my head, all the way to Chicago. I thought people in Chicago know that I'm in pain. And I just started limping on it, you know, and putting on ever so gently. And it hurt to the point that I cried. And I thought, I ain't wearing a crutch. This is it, devil. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm healed. And I did that that day. Did it the next day. It was less pain. The next day, less pain. And a few days went by, and all of a sudden, I go, I'm running today. And I took off running. And I've never stopped. I'm telling you. And then um, there was an elderly missionary lady there who helped. Actually, she was helping Stephanie with the babies. Monty and Vicky were just newborns. And uh, Sister Joyce, you remember her? She was, just, she was just such a neat lady. And she said, Mike, you know, the Lord spoke to me and said that uh, that scripture you're standing on is not everything just about your foot. And I went, what do you mean, Joyce? She says, look at the next scripture, or the next line of that last scripture about your feet. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he, God, will make me walk on my high heels. King James Version says high places. The high places. And I went, man, that is awesome. The Lord reminded me that this week about that scripture, because I kind of forgot about it. I didn't forget about the Kamakalungu, let me tell you. But I forgot about walking in high places. And so this is the thing. 
You know, when you have... I've always thought that, you know, I really wasn't... Pastoring comes almost... It, I know it's a gift from God that it comes easy with me to deal with people, love people. I mean, everybody could think you're ugly. You're beautiful to me. <laughs> everybody could think you're a jerk. I love you. And, but that has nothing to do with Mike Davis. That's just all God in me, being a pastor and, you know, whatever. But I've always struggled. Well, I don't now, but I used to always struggle about being a great leader. I'd see some of these pastors, you know, and I'm just thinking, man, they, they aren't just a pastor. They're a leader. I wish I had that. And I always thought there was something missing in me. Did you know most people think there's something wrong with them or something missing in them, and they're always trying to fix it? Yeah. You'll spend your whole life trying to fix something that's already fixed. You try to, you try to put something in you that you never lack. I just said something now. I said you'll try to get something put in you that you think you're lacking, but you've never lacked it. The Lord says, Mike, you've been wanting better. I cried out, fasted even. I go to leadership conferences, nothing wrong with going to that, but I've went to all these things thinking, I've got to get something, I've got to get something. I go and I come back and I just think it's the same. I still just missing or lacking something. Until one day, the Lord said, what you're seeking and lacking has been inside of you all along. A lot of Christians are like that. You think you lack something, think you're missing something, and God says, you're looking out there. You should be looking in here because it's in there. This is what God said. He says, Mike, I called you to be a leader, and I put you there. I called you. I fulfilled it. I did that. I did that. Read it again. Who's going to do that? says, I will make your feet like Cain's feet, and he, God, will make me walk on high places. So God says, that I've got a high place for you, and I'll put you there. Most people don't, they're insecure or, or, or like me, feel like I'm inadequate. I don't have enough intelligence, don't have enough ability. I don't have this, and I don't have that to be there. And God says, you look at from Genesis to Revelation, there's people in the Bible from Abraham to Jonah Jeremiah the prophet, all these people. I, 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 I'm, I can't, you, you're anointing me to be king? I've got five older brothers. You're anointing me to be king? I can't, I'm not old enough. I can't be king? God usually, almost always, places people at a high point way before they think they're qualified or even ever think they're qualified. Let's just be real. If you and I were Jesus, would we have really picked the 12 disciples? So, Thomas, you want to be on my team? Well, I doubt it. <laughs> Good, I pick you. I mean, we would have had a 12-step program and all these things and making them take them some kind of personality test and go, no, you failed, I don't want you. And Peter, he's got the hot head temper. I mean, he's cutting people's ears off. Is that a guy you want on your team? What's on your resume? Well, I cut a guy's ear off. <laughs> You don't have to worry about anybody messing with us. <laughs> Sons of thunder. 
They weren't called that because they were spiritual lightning rods. They were hotheads. They had temper. Sons of thunder. Who's that? It's the sons of thunders. I want you to be on my team. We want to pick those guys. You got, you got a temper problem? No, we're a, we're a religious organization. We don't want that. <laughs> Jesus did. Jesus picked them, handpicked them. I said he handpicked them, and what was he doing? He placed them in high places. He put them up there. He promoted them and says, this is what you are. This is where I've called you. And so now you don't have to worry about it. I will make provision for you to be there. I'll put you there. Ooh. So listen to me. Listen to me. God has a high place for you. He says, I will put you on your high place. Now see, this is me. Your high place isn't my high place. So there's no competition because I have a specific place that God has placed me. He has a specific place that he's placed you. What is that for you? I don't know. But I do know one thing. He's called you as soon as you got born again. You have the ability to fulfill it from that point on. It's not because of what you've done, what you can't do, what you lack. We're looking and they're all... You know, that old country music, looking for love in all the wrong places. You better get this or I'll keep singing. But anyway, you say, you're, you're looking in the wrong place, man. You're comparing yourself looking to other people. Well, he's, he, Lord, I, that, that church, that, we need that. We need to be like that. We need this and we need that. Oh, we need, oh, he's such a great man of God and I wish... You might as well get a hold of a chicken bone and just pull it off because that's just all, what is that called, the, the wishbone because you ain't, that God does, this ain't a wish thing. Are you hearing me? This is not a wish thing. I wish I was right there. God says, you are. I wish I was right here. You are. You are. And not only are you there, He's given you the ability to be there. You may not know it now. I mean, I was a pastor for years, years, <laughs> before the Lord says, when are you going to get a hold of this leadership thing? I said, Lord, soon as you give me more grace and wisdom and understanding to how to get a hold of that. And he goes, it's not going to happen. I knew I was a second-rated leader. No, the Lord says, you're looking for it and asking for it and begging for it. You've already got it. So why don't you start believing it? That it's me that has put you there. And if you start believing it, you'll know it. And so I, I, when we came to Colorado, I always heard about the, the longhorn sheep and the goats that get up in the high cliffs and just live on, I mean, they live <laughs> on that cliff. It was about three years, and every time we'd go in the mountains, you know, we'd try to make a trip up there, you know, every year. And I would always look for him. Now he says, Mike, watch the road. We'll look. Okay, okay. But I always wanted to see him. I couldn't, we never did see him. But one day, I'll never forget, there was a bunch of cars off the side of the road. Man, I locked it up and pulled over there. I go, there's some kind of critters up there. I it's just the longhorn sheep or the goats or something. Let's, let's look. And sure enough, man, they were there on the side of the cliff. 
And I just was amazed. I thought, are they stuck? Because they don't look like they can go up or down. They're on a, a rock that looks like this. And so all of a sudden you see them move, man. It was like they were going. And they were climbing, going up and down. I go, how can they do this? I go home and you can Google it. You ought to Google it, man. You can see all these great things. And, and I've, they have special feet that are split hoofs. And they got rubber almost like hoofs on that. I mean, they can, they, you and me? No. If we don't have rope, <laughs> you're dead. Why? Because I don't, I don't have that ability. Listen to me now. I don't have that God-given ability. But he gave that critter a God-given ability to do that. They're not afraid of heights. They're not up there going, oh, oh. <laughs> they don't do that, man. I've been on the side of a cliff before. I know all about going, oh. <laughs> it's a scary thing when there's no rope. But the point is this, they have a God-given ability. And this is what God is saying to you and to me. You've got a God-given ability to be in the high place that I've placed you. A God-given ability. When you and I get born again, we have the instinct inside of us to be upon the high place that God has called us. But we're constantly looking out to the outside, listening to what the world says, and say, well, I'm... Just don't feel like I have it. Most of us never feel qualified to go into this qualified position. But you can't look to yourself because God is going to work through you. In you and through you. To fulfill things that you and I in the natural can't do. For example, uh, this week on Facebook I you may not be familiar with a Bill Winston. He's a, has a big church in Chicago. I, he was doing this leadership. Uh, wealth leadership was what it was called that he was having at his church. And so I thought, I want to just click on that and see what it was. Man, I clicked on that. I am so glad I clicked on that. They have a guy on there that's going to be one of the special speakers. He's in Charlotte. The church is called Elevation. And I think it's Stephen Furtick or starts with an F. But anyway... This church, Elevation, has given a total through the last, I think it's less than 10 years, $100 million to their community. You know, I got a pastor friend in in Tulsa. They give a million dollars to missions. And I just thought, man, that's phenomenal. I heard this and I said, "Uh $100 million. To the community. Helping their community. The mayor of Charlotte loves that church. I'm not for sure, but I, he probably goes there. Along with all the other politicians. You give $100 million to a community to make it better? To make it better? You don't think that's a God thing? You don't think that's an influence of a witness to the goodness of God? It's one thing to preach the gospel. It's another thing to show the gospel. Deuteronomy 8.18, it says he gives you power to get wealth. There is a reason that God wants us to have wealth. And I just, you know, religious people don't like this either. So that's all right. You're not religious. So I'm speaking to the right crowd. But... Uh, 
when, let's see, money influences people. If you don't believe me, Donald Trump would not be president today if he lived off minimum wage. Why do people call Bill Gates and the Apple CEO people when they want to have a special meeting for our nation? Why do they call these people? Money. Money. And of course the church, you know, they go, no, that's filthy lucre. (laughs) And that's why Jesus had a treasury. So somebody could keep a bag of the filthy money. <laughs> Had to be more than a couple of dollars in there because Judas was stealing it and nobody figured it out. And they had an accountant on their board and he didn't figure it out. So there must have been quite a bit of money in the bag. I'm just saying. My point is this, is that money is influence. And if you give $100 million uh, to your community, everybody in the community is going to know about you. Who did this? Oh, that church. Who did that? That church. Who's that church? I said, Lord, you're no respecter of persons. If that can be done in Charlotte, that can be done in Pueblo, Colorado. Ooh. <laughs> it can be done here. He's just waiting. And God is not waiting, you know, if you all would just get your act together. Can I tell you, he always puts you in position way before you get your act together. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to get your act together. That's why we have Jesus. He's the only one who could get his act together. And so God picked him. We're waiting on people to get their act together. You will be waiting throughout eternity. God's not waiting on you. He's waiting on you to believe. To know where you're at. Where are you? I'm in the high place, God. Lord, I just want to, and I talked to him this week. I said, Father, I just want you to know our church, it's going to take all the churches in our city, but our church, I want us to be one of them. We're qualified. We're in the high place, so you can use us to pour in that $100 million to change our city so there can be influence, so this city can be saved for the goodness and the glory of God. Amen. 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 You know, if you're making about four or five million a year, you can live off ten percent, pretty good. People are worried about giving ten or fifteen or twenty percent. I like that to be flipped. If you're making millions of dollars, you can live off ten percent. How many think you can live good off of ten percent of ninety million dollars? I think you can live pretty good off ten percent. Everybody's worried about giving ten percent. Let's flip that around and say, God, you can use me. I'll live off 10. Just start giving me the millions. We're good. We're good. We can build a big church. We can build a big uh, school facility, Christian facility. We can build the buildings. We can build all we want and change our city for the glory of God. Amen. Listen, this is what the Lord, I started looking at waste places. God is into building stuff and make it look nice. Amen. You know when these religious people, now, Pastor, we don't need this nice and that need that. You know what? God doesn't talk like that. So I'm going to go by his word instead of religious people. Isaiah 61 says this, 1 through 7, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me 
Because the Lord's anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, he sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening the position or prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint them into that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Then you stop right there. So this is all spiritual stuff that God wants to do. All right? And most people want to focus just on the spiritual part, but not God. He just keeps going. Verse 6. And they shall build up old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities. I thought, Lord, Pueblo qualifies. Everybody thinks that we're just a flush in the toilet, you know. So, I mean, the waste place. Ah, oh, yeah, Pueblo. Uh, if you can't work, if you can't get anything, just, just go to Pueblo. You'll be fine. If you want to be poor, if you, if you want to just barely get along, move to Pueblo. You'll fit right in. And God says, yeah, you move to Pueblo. Because I'm going to build the waste places, and I'm going to repair the waste places. God is... God is into making things that are in disarray and making it look nice. People think, oh, it's just a church. It's just that. It's just that. People, we got really offended by God giving. God gave Moses, gave Solomon, both of them. He gave them plans to build the temple. It wasn't out of scraps. Solomon's temple was the most expensive building on the planet. On the planet. You know, we think that way. You know, you give Christian people to say, well, you know, we're going to be walking on streets of gold in heaven. Most Christians are going to get offended because, you know, that's really too nice. That's pavement in heaven. <laughs> Who, how is your mansion going to look? I don't know, but if we're going to be walking on gold, I can't imagine what our, our couch is made out of, our walls are made out of. It ain't going to be sheetrock, honey. <laughs> are you hearing me? The thing is this, it's not just about having something nice, it's about having something nice so you can influence those that are not godly, don't know God, and they go, what's all this about? It's the goodness of my Father. He's such a good, we sing about it, He's such a good, good Father. Oh honey, we ain't even scratched the surface. He didn't just come to die to take you to heaven. If that was the case, as soon as you said, I want to be a Christian, boom, you would have been Oh, Star Trek would have had nothing on God. You went and gone. Where'd they go? Well, you know, they got saved, so God took them to heaven. No, God left you here for a reason. Why? So that his goodness can live out his, his life on this earth. That's bigger than you and me. I said that's bigger than you and me. So you got to think bigger and say, okay, God, you've placed me here in this high place. I'm ready for you to live that through me. I'm just going to be an open vessel. I'm going to rest in the fact that you can do that through me. Amen. Are you going to rest in the fact that God can do that through you? Amen. It's time the church start resting in the fact that instead of like, oh, if we could just get our act together. If we could just be a little bit more holy. We could just be a little bit more righteous. And you're always thinking that you're lacking something. And so you spend your life trying to fulfill something that you've, you're lacking while all along God says, you're wasting your time. When you could have been living and resting in what I have done for you. Amen. Christ is in you. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not I that liveth. It is Christ living in and through me. He wants to live in and through you. And honey, if Christ is doing the living inside of you and, and, and living through you, it's not going to be, well, we just have to accept what God has given us in Pueblo. No, he says, I'm going to build the waste places through you. He chose Nehemiah to, to rebuild. Remember the walls? Totally destroyed. God didn't say, well, it's good enough. I know it's torn down, it's run down, but hey, we're the church. What are you going to expect? You know? And I was raised in that mentality. We just need to be poor. We just need to barely get by. While all the deacons were working overtime trying to get more money. I was just 10 years old, and I figured that out real quick. I go, something's wrong. You're saying it's wrong to have money? Then why are you working overtime? Unless you do it for free. I'm not here to badmouth this. I'm just here to say there has to be some change in our mind renewal and to think bigger and to think that maybe we were taught wrong and to think we got to have a bigger vision. God wants the church to have a big vision in Pueblo, Colorado. And he's waiting for somebody to stand up and say, I'll volunteer to be that. I'll think that way. I will think that way from now on, which means no more badmouth in our city. You don't badmouth your kids. And your kids aren't angels. <laughs> They're good, I know, but they ain't, they ain't perfect, I know. I've got three. They're not perfect. But this is the thing. I don't allow anybody to talk bad about them. You want to get bad on a mama's side? You get bad on a mama's side? Well, your kid's just a brat. Boom! Well, it's the truth. Boom! No mama likes you talking bad about their, their kids, no matter how nasty they may be. That's my kid you're talking about. I can talk to you. Ain't gonna, no, you ain't going to do that. We will go to the outhouse, and I will pull you through a knot hole backwards. You understand? That's good Kentucky talk. I'm going to take you. You ain't going to like it. But anyway, this is the point. God doesn't like people talking bad about his kids or about his city. Amen. Amen, amen, God does not, your father doesn't like you or me talking bad about any of our brothers or sisters. And he doesn't like you talking bad about his cities. Pueblo's his city. It's not mine. It's not the city council. It's God's. So you need to start talking good about this city. Proverbs 11, 11. Pull that up. I think it's 11, 11. Uh, the, um, there's a translation I like. It says it better than the others. But anyway, pull up Proverbs 11, 11. This is what we need to do as people. We talk good about our city. Well, Pastor, there's a lot of nasty stuff in our city. There's a lot of bad stuff. And you name me one city that that's not going on. Maybe not to the degree of Pueblo, but it ain't, they ain't a perfect city on this planet. That's called heaven, and we ain't there yet. Proverbs eleven eleven. By the blessing of the influence of the upright and God's favor, because of them, the city is exalted. So you, this gives you a clue, the second part, how it's exalted and how it has God's favor. But it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. It's overthrown by the what? 
The mouth of the wicked. It's overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Before that, it says it has God's favor and his goodness on that. If it's overthrown by the mouth of the wicked, then it must have God's favor because of the mouth of the righteous. So, man, I tell you what, I, that, when I read that scripture years ago, I do not say bad stuff about our city. Why? Because, you know, that's like hoping that the, t- the captain of the Titanic does horrible. And you're on it. Why would you want, I hope he hits an iceberg. <laughs> Seriously? Well, he's just a wicked man, you know. He's just a wicked man. He's a terrible man. Uh-huh. And you're on the Titanic. You, you do understand that. Yeah, but he's wicked. I just know if he goes down, you ain't far behind. You'll be gurgling and bubbling with bubbles as well. So why would you want to... T- oh, how did I- why would you want to talk bad about a city that you're living in? This will help you. Or you can get ticked at me. One of the two. Either way, it'll help you. <laughs> Listen to me. Let's t- think big. This isn't just about our city. It is, but it's about your life as well. God wants you to think bigger and have... Bigger vision, because where vision comes, provision will follow. Did I draw that, or is that the first service? Did I draw vision and provision? I preached it so many times. But listen to me. Believe for the provision. But if you don't have vision, you know, if you want to just go out to eat, it doesn't take a lot of faith to have 10 bucks to go out to eat. But if you want to buy a 50,000 square foot building that costs three or four million bucks, it takes a little bit more provision. Than going out to eat. So, where's that money coming from? God's not a counterfeiter. He's not going to rain down heaven money from heaven. Like, oh, $1,000 bill. They don't make $1,000 bills anymore. (laughs) You messed up. God doesn't do that. How does he get provision to you and me? Through people. How does he minister? Through people. How does he do everything? Through people. So what's God looking for? People. Any people here today? God says you qualify. You qualify. As long as you think right and have a greater vision, think bigger. God says I'll make the provision come to you. Just don't give up. Don't quit. Don't think you're lacking something. Don't think you're unqualified. He always calls the unqualified. That's us. I'm unqualified. Okay, you qualify then. Hallelujah. 